Um, so back to the introduction. So uh, we're uh, continuing the book of Galatians, and uh, if you weren't here last week, the, um, the book of Galatians is one of Paul's uh, directest, strongest letters. It's very different than his others. He starts generally with a thanksgiving, some blessing. He doesn't in this one. He jumps right to, you know, I'm astonished that you so quickly deserted him who called you. So it's, it's d- different. Um, one thing nice about it, it is one of the, um, a short, very crisp um, explanation of the gospel. So Romans does it. If you've read Romans, you realize it's very complex. It's good, but it's complex. This is the cliff notes, right? This is very direct because he's trying to um, help when there's false teachers have come in. Okay, so that's the book we're reading, um, and we're going to finish chapter 1 um, today. So look at verse 11. This is Galatians 1.11, and uh, we'll read through the end of the chapter. Uh, this is God's perfect word. Uh, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who had called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the region of Syria. And Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks um, be to God. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you uh, that. Uh, Paul wrote this letter, I'm carried along by the Holy Spirit for our good. I pray that he would do every one of us good today. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Well, I have a question for you. Are you ever wrong? Are you ever wrong? Now, I really should probably ask your spouse if you're married, huh? They'll give me an honest answer. Or kids, I could ask one of your siblings. They'll tell me an honest answer. Are you ever wrong? Well, of course we all are. Have you ever believed something or someone that you shouldn't have? Of course, it's true of all of us. Here's a fun one. Have you ever listened to a sales pitch for a pyramid scheme? I've listened to a couple of those in my life. Thankfully, I never gave in to them. Anyone else ever listened to one of those? I hope you didn't give in to it. Um, Have you ever had a friend give you bad advice? I've had that. Have you ever heard a really bad sermon that was man's opinion and not based on Scripture? Many of you have had that experience. Hopefully not in this church, but uh, there are many churches that do. They stand up, they open up their Bible, and they just talk for a long time and never really do much with the Bible. So 
Okay, so let's look back at this situation. What is the situation of the Galatians? Well, they basically have two contradicting opinions, and they have to decide what to do with them. Paul had preached a gospel previous. He said, faith alone is all you need to be saved. Then these other false teachers come, and they say, no, no, don't listen to Paul. He left something out. You also need circumcision. You need some Jewish things. You need to do some stuff to be saved. Okay, those two are contradicting, and they have to decide which message to listen to. That's where they are. Who are they going to believe? And so Paul is writing this letter, rebuking them and also pleading with them not to desert the true gospel that he originally preached. So as I said in the beginning of the service, remember last week we talked about the sea of lies, right? We're all swimming in this big sea of lies. Well, the Galatians were no different. We're all inundated with messages from every direction, some true and many false. So look at page 7, and you see the simple question we're answering from this passage. What message should we listen to? Seems simple enough. Three answers from this passage. A message from God, not man. Second, a transforming message from a transformed man. And then third, a message that humbles and glorifies God. All right, so let's start with that first one. A message from God, not man. I don't know about you. Are you ever defensive when someone challenges you? When you say something and someone says, "Uh uh-uh, it ain't so. Isn't it easy to be defensive? Is this what Paul's doing? Is Paul just being defensive? they didn't listen to what he said. Well, not exactly. You see it there that he keeps saying this word over and over. We saw it three or four times last time. You see it in verse 11 several times. Um, it's worth circling. The word gospel. The word gospel. He is upset because the gospel is being messed with. So you look at verse 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that I preached to me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, Paul made two claims there. One I can make, and one I can't. All right, the first claim is, he said, the message I'm preaching to you did not come from men. It came from God. I can say that too, right? The message I'm preaching to you, our intent, Brandon and I, when we preach, our intent is not to preach ourselves, but just the Bible. To say, hey, here's a passage, and let's unpack it. Let me illustrate it. Let me apply it. But the goal is just taking what's here and pulling it out so you see what's here, right? That's what Paul is saying. He says, this did not originate with men. That's what I say. And to the extent that Brandon and I are consistent with this word, we preach with the authority of Christ. It's a big statement I just made, isn't it? I'm preaching with the authority of Christ. I can say, thus says the Lord, do this, don't do that but only if I say, because it says it right here, right? Many pastors say that. They say all kinds of crazy things, but it's because it says it here, right? All good preaching, and this was true of Paul, all good preaching has authority only to the extent it is to the word of God. Now, what was the second claim he made? This one I can't make. Second one was, I didn't learn it from men. Do you see it there? He said, 12, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it from revelation from Jesus Christ. I better not be making that claim, right? I went to seminary. I had many good seminary professors. They taught me. Basically, everything I know, I learned from somebody. Isn't that true of you? Somebody taught us these things. They can still be from God, as they're from the Bible, but they didn't come from direct revelation from God. Does that distinction make sense? Okay, so he's making two claims. He said he got it straight from God. 
Uh, there's this story um, that R.C. Sproul tells from when he was in college. This is the 1950s, a little while ago. He recently passed away. He's a great, if you don't know him, a great preacher. And, um, but he tells this story. In the 1950s, he's in college. And uh, one of his professors knows he's a Christian. She's very anti-Christian. Uh, she's a war correspondent from World War II and a pretty strong woman. And uh, so she says, Mr. Sproul, right in the middle of class, just, you know, out of nowhere. Mr. Sproul, do you actually believe? She probably didn't talk as deep as I do, um, but I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm only with my kids, do I do that? All right, so um, Mr. Sproul, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? There's no other way to heaven. Do you believe that, Mr. Sproul? And he's sheepishly under his breath. He knows what's going to happen, right? He gets, if he answers it, yes, he gets the disdain of all the other students, and he's going to get the wrath of this teacher, right? I mean, it's obviously a setup, right? And so he sheepishly says, yes, ma'am. Excuse me, Mr. Sproul, I couldn't hear what you said. Yes, ma'am. And uh, so she lays into him. How arrogant of you. That is the most arrogant thing I've ever heard any student ever say in my class. Just rails at him, right? So then she goes back to whatever subject she's supposed to be teaching. And at the end of class, everyone leaves. And uh, Mr. Sproul goes up to the teacher and says, ma'am, if, if I was just saying that as my opinion, that would be extremely arrogant. You're right. But I do believe that Jesus is the Son of God and, and that he is a way to, of salvation. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to Father except through me. And so, ma'am, that's not my idea or my words. I'm just quoting what Jesus said. And she softened up. She actually apologized to him and said, I'm sorry, I, I was too severe. Uh, that wasn't appropriate to me. And, um, you know, very much surprised him. They went on to have a, a friendship and she softened some to Christianity. Um, she never believed in his knowledge. Um, but I like that story because what did he do? He did the same thing that Paul's doing here. He said, ma'am, that's not my message. That wasn't my idea. Of course, that'd be arrogant of any Christian to, to say it's only my way and any other way is wrong. I'm, I believe that Jesus is God, and this is what he said. And so I'm, I'm delivering to you not man's message, but God's message. You see that what R.C. Sproul did there? It's the same thing that Paul's doing. It's what that we intend to do as well. A message from God, not from man. That's the first thing that you need to look at. So what else does he say here? What's this other part? Um, kids, have you ever played the game Telephone? Yeah, game, it's so, if you haven't played it, it's a very simple game. You sit around a table until the first person comes up with a message and then whispers into the next person's ear, and then they whisper to the next person all the way around the table, right? And then the last person says it. It's all hilarious because it's completely different than what the first person said. It's a game of telephone. What is likely being accused of Paul is they're saying, Paul, you got your message secondhand, and you just got it wrong. You played the telephone game, and you didn't do so well. That's likely what they're accusing Paul of. So what is Paul def his defense? He's saying, no, I got it straight from God. Look, you see it there. Uh, let's see, where is it? He says, um, we'll, we'll come back to it, actually. There's something else here. Um, what you see is he's going to jump in to this detailed timeline. And we'll come back to, to the... To that. Actually, no, I'm going to go and say it. Look at verse 16. Um, he says, 16 said, let me read it. It says, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And I did not immediately consult with anyone. Okay, that's important. What's he mean there? I did not consult with anyone. 
Think for a moment about the 12 disciples. 12 disciples, they walk around with Jesus. Jesus tells them all these things, right? And then do they like go confirm it with anybody? Like, hey, Jesus told us this stuff. Can we trust it? No, of course not. Jesus was the source of the message. There's no one else to check with. He's the son of God, right? They got it from Jesus and their job was to be apostles, to go out and say it, right? And so Paul's saying, I'm just like them. I received it straight from Christ. I didn't need to get it confirmed with anyone. So he says, I did not immediately go to anyone. Okay, next what he's going to do is like a legal defense. In court testimony, kids, you haven't been in court. Hopefully many of you adults have not. But court testimony, you probably see on TV, is very detailed, right? No one says, well, um, I'm, um, judge, I couldn't have been there at the scene of the crime because I was running errands that day. No, they say, on the day of the crime, I went here, and then I went here, and then I went here, and here's my time stamp receipts from all the errands I ran, right? It's very detailed. Why? Because they're trying to create an alibi. I couldn't have been here because I was here, here, and here, right? This, look, this is exactly what Paul does. Look at the verses to follow. He says, I didn't consult with anyone, verse 17. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia. Arabia is the desert, and so this is what prophets would do. The Old Testament prophets go out to the desert. They meet with God. Okay, so who does he go meet with? God, not, he doesn't go to the apostles. Jerusalem is the center of Christianity at this point. Where all the apostles are, he says, I, doesn't, I don't go there. Then I returned to Damascus. Remember Damascus was, remember he was on the road to Damascus when he got knocked off his horse. Then look, verse 18. Then after three years, that's a long time, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. Who's Cephas? Anyone know? Yes, Peter. Just another name for Peter. So he went up and visited Peter and remained with him 15 days. That's really specific. Why exact days? That's about two weeks. Well, his point is, two weeks is enough time to get to know somebody, not to become their disciple. What he's saying is, I'm not Peter's disciple. Of course, I went up and visited him after three years. I immediately went and preached, just like the disciples did, the message I received from God. Do you see the alibi he's building? He's saying, I could not have gotten it secondhand because of all these things. He keeps going on. I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Look at verse 20. In what I am writing to you, before God, I do not lie, explanation point. He is calling himself under oath, putting himself under oath before God, just like a court testimony, because he needs to build an alibi to show, look, I am an authentic apostle. No, I didn't walk with Jesus while he was on earth, but he appeared to me, and he gave me the gospel, and I've been preaching that gospel. I hope you see that. Look at verse 21. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. He's still place by place. I was still unknown in person to the churches in Judea. They're in Christ. They only heard it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. I hope you see that he's laid it all out. Does that make sense, his alibi? I am an authentic apostle. Why does that matter? Because they're challenging his message. He said, I got my message firsthand and I delivered it to the churches at Galatia. You should not listen to these other teachers who are saying that they've got the right thing. It, the gospel you had is authentic. Don't we live in an age where we're a little bit less critical of our sources? Right? Wikipedia, by many, is an accepted truth. But you can go in and edit Wikipedia if you want. 
right? And so we, get, we see things on social media, all kind of places from friends, and we just don't even question them. This is, isn't that true of our age? We've become a less questioning culture. And so it is important that we think about the source. This is why people fill many churches that don't preach the Bible, because they're, they're good public speakers and they're persuasive. And they give a persuasive speech about whatever, and people listen. You should not do that. Even from here, you should be able to say, is what Nathan is saying, is what Brandon's saying, do I see it in the text? Is what they're saying being pulled out of the text? We should be critical of our sources. You need a message from God, not from man. Have you ever heard someone say, the Lord said to me, I have a word from the Lord for you. They have a word from the Lord for you? See, one of the things about churches in America is we hold to many things that have been passed down to us as traditions, and we hold to them, and we never challenge them. You should challenge things and say, is this what we see in the Word of God? What you see in the Word of God is a sufficiency of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You don't need anything else. This is everything you need for your whole life. That is the claim of Scripture. So you don't need, God stopped revealing. There's no more apostles. There's no more prophets. There are denominations that say they are prophets. There's others that just act like it. Right? That they've got this word and it's, It's almost like people follow them. It's like a cult following. That is not good. It is not good. You have a sufficient Bible for everything you need. For everything you need. One of the core values of our church is the Bible. Not surprising. And if you were here at the Vision Banquet last year, each Vision Banquet we announced, hey, we're going to have a core value of the year. This year it's the Bible. We say about the Bible, we believe Scripture is God's infallible word relevant for all of life, and the source of all we teach and affirm. Hey, what have we done this year about the Bible? We've done all kinds of things. Remember studying the Ten Commandments? Kids, you remember those? Hope you still know those little memory clues. I'm not going to do them now. But we learn what to do with that, right? That's not going to save you. It's a mirror to help you see your sin. So we learn what to do with the law of God. Remember, we preached the Psalms in the summer, right? And we learned that, oh, wow, basically every human emotion is captured right here in the book of Psalms. We're preaching through Galatians. And it's the gospel. Very, very clear. That's, that's the central message of the whole Bible. So we're looking at it. Brandon did a bunch of great Sunday school. Remember on the Bible, its source, where we got it, how to understand it. We read Acts together. You remember that? And used the sword method, all that. We're trying to do is our goal is by the end of 2023 that you would love the Bible more. You would use it more. You would trust it more. That's not our secret agenda. That is our goal this year because It is the only trusted source that you can base your life on is the Bible. So hope you get the point. You need a message from God, not from man. But is there anything else that we learn from this passage that we need of how to listen to? Second point, a transforming message from a transformed man. What should we expect to happen when the gospel takes root in our life? What should you expect when the gospel takes root in your life? Is the gospel like trivia information? I don't know if you remember that game, trivia. There's Bible trivia. They made a version of that. 
hey, if you know how the gospel works, you can get that in. No, that is not what this is for. Is this like the Boy Scout oath, right? You just, you need to, to say this in order to be in the club. Nope, that's not what the gospel is. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? Look at verses 13 and 14. Oh, wait, before you get to that, Paul is about to, to talk about his life before Christ. And then he's gonna, we're going to see what, what is the gospel. But, spoiler alert, the gospel is supposed to be central to our life and supposed to transform our life. Now, let me prove that from the text. Okay, look at verse 13. Okay, so all of a sudden, Paul breaks into history. Though formerly, I was a blasphemer. I, I wouldn't admit that, but he does. A persecutor, insolent opponent. Well, that's kind of strange. Why would anyone say that? But I received mercy when I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Wait, I'm not even in the right place. I apologize. Everyone caught that? That's funny. It actually kind of fit. That was First Timothy. I was like, something's wrong here. Okay. Look at verse 13 and 14. I was preaching the Bible. At least I was doing that. Okay, verse 13. That's really funny. Okay, for you have heard of my former way of life in Judaism. This looks more right. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my own people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Okay, this is crazy. Let me tell you why it's crazy. Think about the worst thing you've ever done. You got that in your head? Worst thing you've ever done. Now, are you going to include that in a letter you're going to send to all the churches in Galatia? No way. Think about your resume. Generally, you include like the favorable things about yourself, right? If you look at my resume, you're not going to find years ago he was laid off because his, his boss was, thought he was doing a bad job. That's a true statement. It's not on my resume. Why? Because you don't put that out there. No one does that. Why would Paul do this? Why is Paul defending the authority of his message? And he's saying, oh yeah, I'm a really big failure. I was like the biggest enemy of the church. This is kind of weird. Why would he do that? Now we sometimes throw other people under the bus. We usually don't throw ourselves under the bus. That's exactly what Paul's doing. Why? Here's a clue. Okay, kids, you know what a subject and a verb is? In a sentence, subject, verb? Okay, sometimes you have an implied subject. Here, for the, all the moms and teachers, a free little lesson for your kids. Okay, look in those verses, 13 and 14, and we're looking for subjects and verbs, and, and we'll be happy with an implied subject. Kids, you can even circle this. This would be helpful in just a second. Find it, okay? I persecuted. Subject, verb. Who's doing the action? Paul. What's he doing? He's persecuting. Implied, I tried to destroy it. What's Paul doing? He's doing the action, and it's not good. I was advancing. Another implied I was extremely zealous. Okay, who's the mover and the driver of this in 1314? Paul, right? Paul's doing all this stuff. Okay, now let's see what happens. Look at the next verses, 1516. But when he who set me apart before I was born. Okay, kids, how much did you do before you were born? Did you like plan out your life? Nope. Okay. You can't do anything before you're born. And interestingly enough, this is almost an exact quote from Jeremiah 1.5. But 
the call of the prophet Jeremiah. And so Paul is saying, I'm like the prophets. Before I was born, God set me apart. That's what he's saying. Okay, let's keep looking. What we're looking for is who's the primary driver? Who's doing all the action? Set me apart before I was born. Who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. Okay, who was doing it? Come on, you can say it. God, right. God was the one who was doing all the action, right? So in 13 and 14, Paul is running from God, right? So here's Paul over here, and then God grabs a hold of him, and then, right, don't, isn't that what happens? God is doing all the action. That's what you see. So Paul is throwing himself under the bus because of that. Paul is a transformed man. Okay, he said before he was born, was pleased to reveal his son to me. So I hope you see this contrast. Paul has a transformed life. God came, he's saying, the gospel came and transformed me. Came and transformed me. If you aren't familiar with this, right on Acts 9 is the testimony of Paul when he got knocked off that horse. Right? He was going, running from God, going to get Jews to try to destroy the church. And then God knocked him off his horse and Jesus spoke to him and said, this is Jesus, the one you're persecuting, right? And he gets hold of his life and then all of a sudden he starts preaching the gospel he tried to destroy. Paul had a transformed life. Do you? have a transformed life. Since the gospel has come into your life, what has it done? What has it done? When I was about 16 years old, for you teenagers, God got a hold of my life. I knew the gospel. I knew all the information when I was probably five. Most of you. Kids, didn't you, last week when I talked about Jesus dying for your sins, that wasn't new to you, right? You already knew all that. You know the facts. I did too. But when I was about 16, God grabbed a hold of my life. And ever since then, that was about 28 years ago, God has been transforming me. He did some work pretty quick there in my high school years, but he didn't stop. The rest of my life, my testimony is, is that God has continued to transform me. You could ask my wife. I'm not the man she married. God has been transforming me. I'm not the husband I was five years ago, right? That God, the God when the gospel comes into someone's life, it is like Paul. It transforms. Now you say, well, my life wasn't as bad as Paul. I just, I needed, you know, a little bit of cleaning up. I needed to go to church a little more. I needed to be a slightly better husband, wife, child. No. No, that is not. The gospel transforms. You remember um, uh, um, Tim Keller really helpfully described this. He says that you don't take hold of the gospel. The gospel takes hold of you which is kind of what Paul's saying here, right? It was, he was kind of the passive recipient. God came and got me. It wasn't my idea. God grabbed me and made me his apostle. That's what the gospel does. It grabs hold of us. It grabs hold of us. Remember last week we talked about the battery? Did you remember that? Hopefully one application was batteries go in one way, right? You, you learned that. And that the gospel is like that. You can't flip the gospel around, right? You can't say, hey, I'm saved by being a good person. It's only I'm saved by faith, and then God over time makes me a better person. You can't flip those around, right? There's, some, there's a weakness of that illustration. It's that, that the gospel is not like an inanimate object. A AAA bi- a battery is an inanimate object. It means it has no life to it. 
apart from the Energizer buddy disagrees, but mine, all the adults in there. Um, the gospel is actually primarily about a person. It's Jesus. Remember last year I used that great illustration of, you know, a rescue helicopter and he doesn't throw a book out of here's how to swim. I, it was in my notes. I neglected to say that came from Tim Keller as well. So I really like that illustration. So I like that because he didn't just throw a book down. I'm not throwing a book at you. Our church is not trying to throw a book at you. Here's a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's about a person. Jesus jumped out of the plane and is rescuing you. It's about a person. Your life should be being transformed. Please understand this. The main goal of our church is not to give you a a big to-do list to make you a slightly better person. The main goal of our church is to give you the gospel. I prayed this morning for every one of you, not by name because I didn't know who would be here, but I prayed for all of you that God, that every person, if there's, imagine there's some in here who've been playing church a long time and you're going through the motions and you're a pretty good person, but the gospel is not taking hold of your life. You cannot say it is radically transforming my life. If you cannot say that, kids included, please hear me. That is why we're here as a church, to help you understand the gospel, that it would begin to radically transform you. You can start before I did. I started at 16. But any age, God saves people at all ages, and he gets a hold of their life. And slowly but surely, it's not always quick. It hasn't been quick in my life. It's been a very slow process. But God, the gospel really, really transforms your life. So as I said, who should, a message you should listen to, a transforming message from a transformed man. There are many pastors that are not transformed. You should be able to see in our lives that God is transforming us. And could, can you say that about Paul? Yes. He threw himself under the bus, and that's our next point. Our last one, the last thing, is that it humbles but glorifies God. Right? Isn't it humbling? All that he said was that I was running from God and God got a hold of me. The messages, many people's messages do not, many preachers' messages do not humble. It should humble me and it should humble you. It should humble all of us. This is to be our story. Do you remember last week we had some people join the church? Do you remember the first vow you made? The first vow was this. I acknowledge myself to be a sinner in the sight of God justly deserving his displeasure and without hope except for his sovereign grace. What a ridiculous thing to vow. It's ridiculous. You were saying you were hopeless. A bunch of people stood up publicly and said, I am a hopeless case. That's what they said. They said, there's no hope for me. I'm a big sinner. They, knew, they might not realize, no, they knew, they, we talked through this. We knew, they knew what they were saying. Have you admitted that? Have you admitted that you are hopeless. You cannot save yourself. You are not good enough. You are not smart enough. You have not done enough good things. You are hopeless, and so am I. Except for, the last line said, his sovereign mercy. So thankfully, they made another vow that was this. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the only Savior of sinners, and I receive and depend upon him alone for salvation. Remember saying that? They offered in the gospel That's the thing we're preaching. That's the thing we're preaching. And so this is not just a message for those who are not yet saved. It is. 
If you're playing church, I, I, my plea is that you would hear this and it would actually take root. You would realize the gospel is not taking root in my life. I know the facts, but it is not what is driving my life. But for the rest of you, the gospel is not just a thing you did a long time ago. I have to continue to humble myself. My life story is a long series of being wrong. And it's not done, sadly. I'm going to have to admit a lot more that I have failed at this. And the more I understand the Bible, the more I see that I didn't measure up. The gospel is not done with you. You need, and but it's free. It gives you the freedom. I can publicly admit that I'm a failure in so many ways because that's not my identity. The gospel gives you that freedom. Many of you work really hard to keep a good public face. You don't have to if the gospel takes hold of you. You don't have to if the gospel takes hold of you. As we close, I just want you to make sure the messages you hear, you're constantly bombarded with messages. Please confirm that they're from God, not from man. Hold, hold everything you hear from social media to teachers and school kids. Billions and billions of years you evolved from an eight. You should be able to say, that's not what the Bible says. I'm going to hold to this message and throw out that message. That's the message of man, and this is the message of God. Make sure it's, from a, trans, it's a transforming message from a transformed man. If the person giving the message is not being transformed by it, you should be suspicious. And then lastly, ensure that it's a message that humbles and glorifies God. Look at the last verse. It says, and they glorified God because of me. You know, the, the false teachers couldn't claim that. They were making people slaves to old Jewish laws. The gospel sets people free. My hope is not that, you would, that this would bring any glory to us or to this church, but to God. That you would say, it's not that Nathan saved me. You'd say, I see in the Bible, maybe for the first time ever, the gospel. I knew the facts, but it had never taken hold of me. God intends to take hold of you at any age. Has it taken root in your heart? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you, I know you're not done humbling me. I don't enjoy it, but I know you're not done. I pray that you would humble all of us that we would all open up our hands and be willing to admit, some for the very first time, that they don't have it all together and that they, the gospel is not really taking hold of them. That would be humbling. Please help them do that, that they may have life, eternal life. And Lord, I pray for those who are believers, that they would continue to be very wise in who they listen to, but not listen to just any message that comes across them or comes to them. Lord, help us be very shrewd and that your word would sink deeper and be the grid by which we hold every, every message accountable. Lord, I pray that, that you alone be glorified. I do not wish to glorify myself, Father, but I do want you to be glorified in their lives and in mine. And so I pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.